Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We've got some big news at the Seton Shrine. In this 200th year, we have some very special artifacts from Mother Seton coming to Emmitsburg, including her original bonnet, a christening gown she sewed for her daughter, and a lot more. A special exhibit is coming this summer where you can see these treasured relics on display. Now here's Father Ted. Lots of people these days, I imagine many of us here as well, are very worried about infection, about sickness. And the global pandemic that we are in the midst of is something which we have taken extreme measures to counteract. We are all witnessing these extreme measures in this very mass, and everywhere we go, hand sanitizer, social distancing, and masks. And we're told on a daily basis how dangerous it is, and how many people have died from it, how many people are infected by it, and it seems like the only hope is this, the vaccine which will be coming out. But today's readings remind us that there is something far worse than COVID out there, and its name is sin. It is far more dangerous than COVID. The mortality rate of coronavirus hovers around 1%, give or take. The mortality rate of sin holds steady at 100% for those who die in it. Now, by no means do I want to disparage the gravity of the global pandemic. Like every single day in my religious community, we receive prayer requests from people who are suffering from it themselves or have lost family members. Some of my religious confreres have had family members who have died because of it. I'm sure most of us know people that are either close to us or we are somehow related to, that we've heard about and we care about, who have been afflicted by this in one way or another. So it is a significant deal. It is a big deal. But it is nothing compared to the plague of sin. Our readings, they tell us again and again, the gravity of what it means to break the commandments, to break the covenant with God. Like St. Paul in the second reading, for example, he told us we were dead in our trespasses. Sin for Paul is not like the breaking of a rule, the violation of a commandment. Sin is something which is like within us, and it results in death. People without sin are alive. People with sin are not alive. They are deceased. It is not something outside of us. And even before this second reading, like we picked up the second reading at Ephesians 2, verse 4, at Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul is hammering home this point with even more explicit affirmations. He told the Ephesians that people living in sin were following the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, following the desires of the body. Or he also called them children of wrath. Now, we often pride ourselves because we are children of God. When we live in sin, we are children of wrath, according to Paul. And remember, the prince of the power of the air is a Semitic, in, is a Semitic idiom for the devil. And so the people that are in sin, they are following the devil, they are following the world, and they are following the impulses of their bodily nature. And then the gospel, too. Our gospel talks about how without Christ we are condemned and that Christ came that we might not perish. This is the mission of Christ, 
Christ did not come to earth to make us nice people, to teach us manners, to help us be friendly to each other. Or like one uh, American author, Flannery O'Connor, put it, to give us a heart of gold. Like that was not the purpose of Christ. Even people without any religious background are capable of being nice. It's good to be nice, and if you are a religious believer, you should be nice. But that's not the essence of our faith. There's something much deeper that we believe in, and there is something without which Christ, without Christ, we would never accomplish. So it is not Christian to think that our faith consists in simply behaving well. Without Christ, we are condemned. Without Christ, we are slaves of the devil. Without Christ, we are dead. But with Christ, we are freed from our sins. And much more than that, too. Like, it's not just as if Christ came to take away bad stuff. Like, he did that. But he also came, more importantly, to regenerate us spiritually, to make us new creations, to make us children of God. We were brought to life in Christ. And not just any life. John tells us eternal life, life that never ends. And how is this accomplished? Like, how is this removal of sin and this implementation of eternal life into us, how was this accomplished by Christ? Our Lord tells us in the Gospel, I must be, the Son of Man must be lifted up, and then I will draw all people to myself. Lifted up. When was Christ lifted up? We know he was transfigured, but he lifted himself up there. He was lifted up on the cross. He was hovering between heaven and earth, rejected by men, and he felt as if he was rejected by his heavenly Father in a way. But at that very moment, he drew all men to himself. Everybody came to Christ in response to that tremendous act of sacrificial love, which is the cross. Three times in John's Gospel, he talks about being lifted up. Three times in all the other Gospels, he talks about his passion. So he predicts his lifting up in the Gospel of John, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he predicts his passion, death, and resurrection. So it's the same reality that he's referring to. He's going to reconcile us to the Father through the cross. And sometimes we don't really know what he's trying to do. Sometimes, rather, we don't know what other people are trying to do. We don't know why people are doing what they're doing. Like Maybe somebody does something nice for us. Maybe somebody treats us well. Maybe somebody does us a favor. And there's always that kind of question, like, why are you doing this? Sometimes we don't even know why we're doing stuff. We do it, but we're not, we got mixed motives. But both Paul and John in today's readings, they give us a glimpse into the heart of God. They tell us why God is actually going through all this trouble. Why is he going to allow himself to be lifted up in order to free us from sin and make us children of God? Paul told us at the very beginning, God, who is rich in mercy because of the love he had for us, brought us to life in Christ. Or John says so famously, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is because of mercy that Christ has done this for us. It is because of love that Christ has done this for us. And this is even more dramatic when we call to mind where we were at before this actually took place. Like, who were we compared to God when God decided to send forth his only begotten son? We were enemies with God. Like, sin had this dramatic effect of rupturing our relationship with the Father. 
And despite the fact that we were enemies with God, God still saw fit to save us, to rescue us, to do us this immense act of charity. It would be like, you know, doing a favor or even laying down your life or doing some dramatic deed for somebody who had just cheated on on you with your wife or somebody who had just stolen your wife or somebody who had just robbed you or somebody who just slandered your name. They just like told the boss about how you were robbing from the company and it wasn't true. And then you turn around and you do that person a favor. But like some dramatic favor. Some favor that costs you something very dear. Like we were offending God and that's when God decided to help us. There's a well-known speaker who illustrates just how precious we are in God's eyes regardless of what we have done to him. He he began a seminar by holding up a, a $20 bill, and there are like 200 people there in this auditorium, and he said, who wants this? And of course, everybody's hand goes up. They all want the $20 bill. And he says, okay. And he crumples the $20 bill. He says, who wants this now? Okay, we don't care. Everybody's hands still go up. And then he takes the $20 bill, and he throws it on the ground, and he grinds it underneath his shoe. And then he picks it up again, and he says, who wants it now? And everybody's hands were still up. Because they knew that even though it was beaten and broken and ground into the, into the floor with his shoe, it was still worth $20. And that's very often where we are at. Where because of our sins, we have been ground into the floor. We have been crumpled. We have been, like, battered. But we are still precious in God's eyes. We are still worth the life of his son in the eyes of God. And this is the reason for rejoicing today. Today is Leitare Sunday, the Sunday of rejoicing. We do not rejoice because we suddenly don't have to do Lenten penances. We do not rejoice because it's a sunny day. As Christians, we rejoice because of the unbreakable, unconquerable love that God has for us. Because joy is something that comes about when you recognize just how good something you possess is. It's the emotional response to the recognition that I have something valuable. And so the greater the good thing that you have is, the more joy you will have. And there is nothing greater than that love of God. Now, in many ways, what we are talking about now, this experience of being freed by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross from our state of sin, it's very much so foreshadowed by what we saw in the first reading. Or we probably know the basic story of Israel where they were unfaithful to the covenant and so they were shipped off to exile in Babylon. Like God allowed them to be deported. In the first reading we heard that the princes of Judah added infidelity to infidelity by imitating the ways of the world. And that's what we were doing. We were adding infidelity to infidelity. Even in our lives, even after our baptism, we add infidelity to infidelity. And as a result of that, the people of Israel lost their homeland. They lost their dwelling places in Jerusalem when Babylon came and conquered them and shipped them off into exile. That's what happened to Israel. And so too with us. When we add infidelity to infidelity, we lose our dwelling place, our residence in the Father's house. We are separated from God. But then we get to the prophet Jeremiah in this first reading. And he says that this state of exile, like we will continue to be away from the Father's house, 
Israel will continue to be away from Jerusalem until it retrieves the lost Sabbaths. So there will be an end to exile, but once this happens, and what has to happen? Sabbath days have to be retrieved. That is to say, in the covenant of the Old Testament, one of the most important parts of it was to keep holy the Sabbath day. And Israel was not doing that. They were not worshiping the Lord God on the Sabbath day. They were not going to the synagogue. They were not resting on the Lord's day. And that's one of the primary reasons why they were exiled. And so they had to retrieve those Sabbaths. Now let's apply that to ourselves. We don't have the Sabbath anymore. We have Sunday. But we are also supposed to keep holy the Lord's day, just as, Jew, just as Israel was in the Old Testament. And for many weeks or months, or maybe even up till now, we've been limited insofar as our attendance of Mass has been concerned. We haven't always been able to get to Mass. Maybe it was impossible because the churches were closed. Maybe it was extremely difficult because there were very few Masses and they were all packed. Maybe it was something that wasn't advisable because we were looking after an elderly relative who we didn't want to expose to that. There are different reasons. Regardless of what kind of culpability we have, if any, for doing that, we lost many Sundays. And maybe what we need to do is start retrieving them in the sense of making up for those, in the sense of participating in the celebration of the Mass in order that we might retrieve those lost Sundays. First of all, by going to Mass on Sundays, whenever possible, but even going to Mass during the week. Because God forbid we just go to Mass because we're supposed to. We go to Mass to be with our Father to be with our brother Jesus Christ. It's at the Mass that we encounter the awesome truth that God loved the world so much that not only did he give his son in Palestine for us 2,000 years ago, but he shows his love even more by giving us his son on the altar every single day. And so as we continue with this Mass, let us Get ready to look at Christ, who is lifted up on the cross, who will be lifted up in the host at the moment of the consecration, and say with St. John the Apostle, we have come to know and to believe in the love that God has for us. This is the reason that we have for rejoicing. This is what caused the Blessed Virgin Mary to rejoice in her life, seeing herself as the beloved daughter of the Father, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, the mother of God the Son. And so we ask her to pray for us, that we might participate in that joy which is proper to we who have been saved from the death of sin by the sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ on the cross.